Welcome to yet another edition of the Grassroots Government Podcast. I'm Avery Davidson, along with Andy Brown, the National Affairs Coordinator for the Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation, and our producer and head of everything technical, Carl Wiggers. He's with us as well. But we actually have a very special guest in with us today, and that is American Farm Bureau President Zippy Duvall. Zippy, it's so good to have you here on the Grassroots Government Podcast. Well, thank you for having me. Grassroots politics, that's what I'm all about. Well, you got to see a lot of that over the last couple of days. Uh, Andy put together a pretty good trip uh, for you to go on the last, what, two and a half, three days here in Louisiana. Uh, tell me a little bit about what you've done, what you've seen just over the last, oh, 72 hours or so. Yeah, for the first thing, I've learned a lot. Uh, we started out at... Uh, a beautiful new building being built for this great organization here at Louisiana Farm Bureau. And I know everyone's excited about being able to utilize that new building and new location. You know, it just shows how an organization can grow and prosper and, and it just oozes the prosper part out of it. So just real proud to see that. And then we went to see crawfish. Mm -hmm. uh, knew nothing about crawfish, and now I know a little bit. And Did you know how they tasted before then? Oh, yeah. I love crawfish etouffee. The it's first wonderful. thing he told me when I picked him up at the airport, uh, I said, well, I, uh, we're going to eat pretty good. He said, oh, one of the best meals I've had in my life was the last time I was here and had etouffee. <laughs> and so we, we tried to uh, bring him back to that. It was already on the menu, so it was just a little divine intervention helped me there on, on the planning side. But, oh, yeah. If you're going to Crowley and you're going to have lunch with rice farmers, who also grow the crawfish, you know it's going to be etouffee because it has it's the marriage of their two crops mm -hmm. right there. It was awesome, too. I enjoyed it. But from there, we went and saw rice meal and was able to see uh, uh, the expansion there and progress there and uh, just really enjoyed uh, learning about the process of, of uh, milling rice. You know, I was told a long time ago, and I asked uh, – What's his name that ran it? Bobby. Bobby, Bobby Hanks. Yeah, yeah Bobby, Hanks, Bobby Hanks. I says, uh, uh, those saying, uh, keep your nose to the grindstone. I was always told it had to do with milling grain, and he said I was exactly right. That, mm -hmm. uh, they used to have to put their nose down to the grindstone to make sure they were grinding it right, uh, uh, right uh, granulated, not too close so it wasn't burning it you know so he said i was exactly right so i, I confirmed that old saying you knew a little bit more about rice than you thought you did yeah that's right um crawfish wise i know a lot, not much is in production right now but what were you able to see i mean we're, we're all able to i haven't even gotten a visit with y'all about yeah. the trip so, so we, they showed me the, the boats and the tra traps and explained to me how they did that and you know uh, really and truly a lot of the work they're doing and the, the kind of doing some experiments about how close to put traps, how many traps to make up and down the field, try to speed it up, not damage the field as much as they used to. They've changed the wheel on their boats it, so it doesn't tear up the soil as bad underneath mm -hmm. the water. Uh, and then, of course, the uh, processing and, and, and uh, <clears throat> sizing them out and how they market them. It, it was interesting to hear that. And, and of course, uh, we also talked about the role that the Farm Bureau play from grassroots up all the way to the national level to be able to get crawfish recognized in the CFAP packages. Right. This was the first time that we've had uh, somebody, because of COVID, from American Farm Bureau just happened to be uh, the president. But to have him in the room with those guys that, that where you know, ground zero, where that effort started, for me as a staff person who was kind of the middleman of all that was really rewarding just to be able to 
uh, have a Dr. Kirk Guidry in the room who was mm-hmm. the economist piece. We've, we've talked about that a lot on this podcast when it was our hot button issue, but uh, it just kind of came full circle to, to see that those guys are excited about crawfish season, flooding uh, ponds now and, and gearing up, getting ready. Uh, labor will be here soon and, and be a part of the, uh, the process. Well, I want to interrupt. I, 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 you're, I know you're telling about your trip and you have an entire day we haven't even touched yet, but Andy talking about having you in the room with all of these farmers that, you know, Farm Bureau has helped on the state and national level. That's what this trip's all about for you, right? I mean, getting to be with the grassroots. It is. It's two real reasons I make these trips. One, it's not just to see the best part of America because I get to see the best parts of America. You know, people travel around and see the national forest and they see you know the monuments and they see grand canyon and stone mountain but i go see the real part of the country and that's go out in rural america and see farmers and ranchers i got to see the best side of this country no one else gets to see but the reason i do that is two reasons one uh, our farmers need to know that their their membership dollars buys them a membership and not just their county farm bureau but the state farm bureau and a national organization, and we're so far removed from them in Washington, it's very hard to have a connection for them to really know what we do day in and day out for them. So me getting back brings the uh, American Farm Bureau back to them and say, this is what we're doing, and this is why it's important for you to pick up the phone, call your congressman, or write an email, or show up at a town hall meeting and talk about the same things that I and all our staff does each and every day because they are the one that push it over the goalpost. Uh, they're the one that scores the touchdown after we've laid the groundwork and plowed the ground, talked about these issues, and then you tell them how that issue affects you on your farm to to the congressman that's representing you. It is priceless, and it works. I know that y'all send out the, the text alerts every now and then and also emails. How important is it for, for our grassroots to, to take that initiative, to go ahead and click the link, and make sure they send that letter to their representatives. It is tremendously important. And, you know, if you're not signed up and getting those texts, you ought to be doing that uh, because it takes every bit of two minutes at the most. Once you do one or two of them, then it's really quick, and you've made your uh, you've made your voice be heard through a strong organization with a reputation that the congressmen and senators respect. Well, we talked about that a lot on the trip because one of the other big issues that is going on right now that – President Duval got to speak about was taxes, and we've really used that system to make an impact on taxes. But um, one issue that we may start using, we have a, a state system here, and then we also ask people to be a part of the national uh, alert system, but uh, is on disaster programs. And the next part of your trip was to go see the Vales. We, it was a logistical challenge. To, I would love to take you know, we have any guest here, but especially our national president for our organization would love to go to Shreveport, would have loved to been in, you know, picking cotton up mm-hmm. in Carl's part of the world. But um, we did want to make sure that those folks, you know, with Laura and Delta knew that they had not been forgotten. So we got to go to the Vales and, and take uh, Zippy there to meet with Brandon and Danielle. So what did what did you see out that way? Well, first of all, Brandon and Danielle, fantastic, two young farmers and Y'all should be very proud to have them associated with this organization. And if you're out there and you're that age, we need you to be part of our organization. But to go there and see what they have had to experience just really breaks my heart because we talk about disaster payments and disaster help from Washington, D.C., and they talk it and wear it out. 
And by the time they get around to actually doing it, and they will do it, they always do it. You know, some of the farmers already went out of business and found another job by then. If we're going to help people, let's help them stay in business. When it, when it comes through this, let's assess it. Let's have a, a permanent program where we can help farmers and ranchers get through those hard times and stay in farming because we need to protect the family farm. There's enough things fighting us. And when the government should step up and help us is definitely when we have disasters. I think a lot of people would be surprised to learn that, you know, here we are more than a year after Hurricane Laura hit. They still have five miles of fencing to put back up. They are still not back in their home. They're living in a 700 square foot apartment that's attached to a barn. I mean, when Brandon Vale walks out of his door in the morning, he's going into his shop. Yeah. I mean, he's going yeah. right to work. I and mean, this not is to say not, that he wouldn't. This is not the Barn Dominium TikTok page. This is something that they just uh, structured to, to get by. And then you look across, I mean, think about that waking up, walking out. For If you're not in the farming community and listen to this, walk up and you slept in your garage and you look out across your driveway and see where you used to live, not to mention they have a little girl, which hits home with me, you know, to have to raise a young child. And don't get me wrong, Brandon and Danielle are making the best of yeah. it. I think cozy was the word that uh, Mr. Zippy used while we were there. But um, there, there's supposed to be disaster assistance to mitigate some of this, and it's it's not at the Vales Farm yet. And What's what the sad thing, though, is that it, this isn't the first time. Mm -mm. It happens almost every time when the, when the hurricane came through Georgia. Mm -hmm. It took 18 months before there was actually some money delivered to farmers and ranchers that destroyed the cotton crop and, and, and ruined the peanuts and blew down just thousands of acres of pecan trees that take years and years and years to replace. Uh, so to lose another 18 months is just unheard of. So this, this continues to happen year after year. And that's why we need to talk about how do we fix that? You know, and, and the caution is you don't want to throw a permanent disaster program out there that's going to interfere or defer, uh, defray people from buying crop insurance. Crop insurance is the cornerstone of our risk management tools in the farm bill. And we all as farmers ought to do risk management planning. But over and above that, there ought to be something there permanently to help farmers and ranchers get through this. If it were funded beforehand or if there were fun, there was funding already there, Instead well, see, that's the problem, Avery. These programs that we're waiting on, and just a little quick update, we, yeah. we as a Farm Bureau just sent out, as Mr. Duvall has been here, uh, a letter to Secretary Vilsack saying what exactly we're talking about, mm -hmm. that there's standing disaster programs that have appropriated money sitting there for these folks like Five Miles of Fence through the ECP yeah. program. Those applications are in queue, but the the... The system is not getting, you know, it's, you have to complete the project. Well, Brandon couldn't get the post to complete mm -hmm. the project. You know, it's just, there's little things that on paper, like a lot of laws that we talk about on here, that's, you know, where the, where the law meets the road meets the farm is not the same as it looked when they were drawing it up. And that we get passionate about it and we're going to be mm -hmm. passionate about it come next farm bill and, and work with our partners at American Farm Bureau to try to make some changes. But we, we know that we can't have all this figured out. So we're going to work on that. But just to kind of bring it full circle, we've also worked on ad hoc disaster assistance that takes even longer than that. So mm -hmm. it's it's while crop insurance is great and it's it's hard to it's hard to have this discussion with somebody from a part of the country that 
you know, doesn't have the disasters that we have, they just say, well, we have crop insurance. That's all, you know, that works well. What's your problem? Well, like any good insurance, depending on where you're at and what your rate structure is and, mm-hmm. and how often you have disasters, you know, it's still something that we want to have in our risk management toolbox for farmers here in Louisiana. But um, we, we need to look at what else we have and see if we can make some improvements. And then uh, I was thinking also about the psychological side of this, because uh, Mr. Duvall, I don't know if you realized this whenever we were out there, but that barn over to the side still had tin that was hanging off of it. And the sound of that tin banging with every breeze as a constant reminder of the day that storm rolled through and took your livelihood away, took your home away. And it's just this constant banging, banging, banging. What does that do to someone mentally? I mean, just being out there for a little while, it's like, do they just learn to ignore it? Or does is that, is that the constant reminder that I think it is? When that happens at my house, I can't ignore it. It'll worry <laughs> me to death. I got to snatch that thing off. Well, put a screw in it. But but he has had so much of it to do. I'm sure he's just gotten used to it because he just can't get around right. to everything. You know, you got to do the, the things that, that – that have to be done first, mm-hmm. and that banging is not one of them. You know, like try to watch your cattle and make sure the right. mosquito outbreak is not killing cows. I mean, I've never heard of cows being killed because of mosquitoes. Yeah, suffocating. So many of them suffocating them. Uh, you know, I, I, I had never heard that. Uh, n- nobody in America, if I don't know that, and I'm a cow guy, if I don't know that, nobody in America knows that. Mm-hmm. We've had that with gnats as well around here. Yeah. Both of them. Well, I think the first thing before we even met Brandon Danielle, we, you know, Zippy's a farmer. We were riding to their place and he looked over at, at Brian and I said, this is some tough ground, but it takes tough people to farm tough ground. And, and that's that's what the veils are. That's what a lot of people in Louisiana that very prideful that uh, a resilient bunch. And we're, you know, and I think that kind of is a good uh, segue to the, what we saw this morning and what we were really there to to be proud of is that our river system, uh, we were at Zeno Grain uh, touring a, a, an export elevator, something you said you had never uh, experienced. Was, was not it? up close. I've seen it from a distance, but not up close. You know, a lot of times they keep you up in the top of the building and let you look over, over yonder. But we, we actually went out and was able to get out on uh, and see the boats being filled and barges being emptied. And it was a great experience. What I thought was amazing was, Hurricane Ida hit, and it shut down all of our grain facilities here. By September 11th, so less than two weeks after Hurricane Ida hit, Zeno Grain was back up and running. They had uh, a goal for the month of September to ship out 39 million bushels of grain. They ended up shipping out 36 million bushels despite being shut down for almost two weeks. That says a lot about the people of St. James Parish, about Zeno Grain and what they've done. In that community. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, first thing they did was brag on their employees. Yep. And how their employees not only uh, were trying to take care of themselves, they took care of the company and took care of the community. And that's what America's all about. And mm-hmm. I see it everywhere I go. The the heart and soul of an of American community is just a powerful thing. Mm-hmm. One of the guys that uh, was touring us around, we were riding a golf cart over to the dock side to see these ocean going vessels. And I'm talking to him and he told me his full story, which would take too long, but I'll just tell you this. He told me the, that Zeno gave him a week off because, uh, he was, was 
had to have a home to live in. So he was working on that. But then he told me uh, he worked 22 days straight, I believe it was, after that. And he said he would clock out out of his eight or nine hour shift, go home, and until the sun went down, would be up on a roof, tarping roofs. And then when the sun would go down, everybody would move inside and start tearing out sheetrock. And he said he'd do that till he'd give out, maybe catch a wink and then get back to work. And finally, the the folks, he wanted to keep working and keep helping his family and friends. And they said, you're going to take a day off or, or two because we need you to, you know, we need you to be, be right. But that just shows you uh, what it mm-hmm. took to get back up to, to speed and, and, it's just even as close as, as I was to the storm made a very impression on me of, of from Livingston Parish to St. James, just the difference in in severity and what it takes for those people to to live like that. And that it wasn't just at the grain elevator. We, we heard the same uh, at a sugarcane farm. You uh, that was a. That was an exciting. I tried to. I'm. I'm the one that's in charge of keeping things on time, and uh, <laughs> the the president told me that he had on his bucket list to plant some sugar cane. So yep. we were able to accomplish that before we got back I today. Plant some cane. One of the things I'd like to talk about those some of the realities that faced um, uh, American agriculture that were so uh, evident here that is so threatening, and it has to do with uh, bringing young people to agriculture. <clears throat> And keeping the family farm alive, and that's that's the threat of not having land available, mm-hmm. afford land available, and the financing to buy it, and the pressures that come from preservation uh, mitigation, the mitigation banks. Yeah, the mitigation banks, uh, pressures that come from uh, what waters of the U.S. rule might look mm-hmm. like. I mean, my goodness, the water table here. Uh, I can't imagine what a bad movement in the waters of the U.S. ruling to move back toward where it was in 2015, what that really does to these communities here in the state. And, uh, uh, you know, so it just shows to me the importance of the work that we're doing in those areas. So wetland mitigation, uh, for those that don't know, uh, when when you go to develop a wetland, you have to mitigate uh, what you're taking up. And a lot of times these are uh, industry and other uh, business that, are developing these areas and they have to mitigate that so where's the easiest and simplest way to do that is to buy up farmland so that's what um and they're paying inflated prices for it right they have the revenue stream cost up for the farmer and the the credit to do that while a young farmer may not so that uh and then i do not believe we stepped foot on a farm this week that would not fall under the prior converted crop acre um title which if the old uh, waters of the U.S. rule were to go into place, we would have been under federal jurisdiction every single mile that we went. We went a whole lot of miles uh, in a couple of days. So those are just some of the things that, that we were speaking and of. I've and I've already talked to EPA about that importance of that and to Secretary Vilsack about the importance of prior converted cropland. You didn't really talk much about sugarcane, but one thing I know you saw on a sugarcane farm was a lot of labor. Is that something you see state to state, that yeah. kind of labor, maybe outside of California? Yeah, labor is the biggest limiting factor to American agriculture. I mean, even in areas where you think labor is not a problem, it really is. Uh, you know, so everywhere I go and all uh, all the states I've been to recently, that's been their number one issue. Really? And, and it's not just in agriculture. Just ride up and down the road and look at the help wanted signs. Right. 
Americans aren't working anymore. Why? I don't know. Uh, uh, but we, America needs to go back to work. Mm-hmm. And when we do, our economy will make a, a turn for, in a positive way. Talking about labor, you know, Louisiana is very dependent upon H-2A labor for uh, what we do out in the fields, H-2B labor for what happens at the sugar mills and some of our processing facilities. Where do you think things are going in Washington when it comes to any kind of reform when it comes to migrant labor? Well, there's not another issue on the plate that I wouldn't rather find a solution to than 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 the labor issue because it is that biggest limiting factor but i the reality of what's in washington today and what's going on at our southern border the reality is nothing's going to happen the republicans aren't going to have immigration reform or have a guest worker bill to that, that helps us with our labor here in agriculture until that southern border is, is secured and the Democrats have this reason, their reasons for not securing it. So we got a deadlock up there that's preventing us to get to a place to where we take their excuses away from them for fixing our problems. Uh, I think really and truly that uh, if we continue in this direction, because it's not that we don't pay enough. It's not that we don't treat our people at workforce enough. And it's, it's, and it, it, it's just a simple fact that we don't raise our children to work on the farm anymore. Mm-hmm. No one wants to work in American agriculture unless it's in high tech. Mm-hmm. And they'll go there, but they don't want to go to the field. There's certain jobs in, in, in agriculture. It takes a pair of hands. You got to get hot, dirty, and sweaty to do it. And our children don't want to do that anymore. And So that means that we got to fill the gap with people that want to come from other countries to do that work and don't mind doing it. And, you know, it's interesting when you hear the excuses about, well, if you'd pay them enough or if you treat them well enough. It's interesting when you go talk to these families that's been in H2A, the same people come back every year. Mm -hmm. Would you come back next year if you got mistreated? No, you wouldn't. They're not mistreated. They treated very well. They really become part of our families and look forward to coming back and being part of our life uh, during that season. And we have some farmers here who hold a crawfish boil when their labor gets here and then throw another party whenever their labor leaves. Right. I mean, that's, and it's the same folks every year. They have uh, brothers who come together uh, to work on their farms. Well, the I mean, first thing we heard with our disaster response group on Facebook mm-hmm. and what we're trying to do there, uh, which we really hadn't visited with you much about, but we're trying to, as an organization, respond uh, and help farmers help farmers when it comes to storm recovery, be that stopgap between uh, day three and, and day 30, kind of that window where outside help hasn't arrived. So what can my neighbor help me do? And, and that was the first thing we heard is I need some place for my labor to go. My, you know, the place where my H2A workers are staying got destroyed. They were, they were really prioritizing their needs over their own family at that point. So that's a prime example of they're very well taken care of and they do become a part of the family and a part of the business. So it's, it's, that was just one recent instance that we had. But I I guess um, one thing, and I guess in closing sort of on your trip, is you also were able to meet with our board of directors and a lot of our leaders. And we're kind of coming out of that COVID-19 fog of everybody having to Zoom and be at home. And we hope we can continue to come out of that. But uh, what are you seeing across the country as we try to 
get our Farm Bureau folks back in action and get our grassroots kind of grease the wheels and, and, and start uh, back to, to what we need to be doing. Well, it's important for everybody to know how, how important what they the time that they give from developing our policy to going to that town hall meeting to making that phone call or or sending that email to the call. Those steps of volunteering in this organization is tremendously valuable in this accomplishing our mission and that's being the one united voice of American farmers and ranchers and and making something positive happen in the future. You know, I know, I know a lot of our people were just so excited during the Trump administration. We had so much success, had great relationships. But I'll tell you right now, we've we have those relationships with this administration. They think differently, but we have a seat at the table. And we need to hold the line. We need to do our work. We need to stay diligent and make sure that we continue to do what Farm Bureau does best. And that is find a way to work with whoever the voters send to Washington for us to work with. And that's what we've done for 102 years. That's what we're going to keep on doing. And we need our farmers and ranchers to be engaged and being in the process so that we can continue to hold the line and keep bad things from happening. And I know it's really important for us to have a seat at the table, regardless of which party is in power. I know Joe would be sitting here saying, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. Is that sort of the the, the thinking you have behind making sure no matter what's going on, we're there to at least guide some of the discussion? That's exactly right. If you're not there, someone else is going to have the conversation. And I've been on the farm. I've been to Louisiana. And I've been to Illinois, and I've been to Georgia and California and, and, our, and Alaska, and I know what those issues look like, what they, how they affect those farmers, and I need to be at the table to make sure that your voice can be heard, and that's what we try to do day in and day out. And we have those relationships, and there are some really good people working in this administration and want to do the right thing. But sometimes the politics just doesn't allow them to do that. But we just keep chipping away. We keep doing our job. We take that policy book and we lead our conversations. One thing I'd like to say, I know we talked about a lot of things, challenges, and seen a lot tremendous, a lot of challenges here in this state. Uh, but we've done a lot of work about, on our mental health. Mm-hmm. You know, I really want to uh, urge people that, you know, we need, you know, if if storm comes through, we're always at our neighbor's house helping him put his tend back on his barn or build his fences. You know, when a storm goes through people's lives and they're having a hard time handling it, it's no different. Mm-hmm. And really and truly, you know, after experiencing what I did after losing my wife, it's amazing what uh, just an ear, somebody lend you an ear and let you talk it off your chest, what it will do for somebody. We have went way beyond that. We've worked with, uh, we've worked with uh, uh, Ag Credit, and we've worked with Farmers Union to develop a farm state of mind programs and help teach people noticing the signs of some mental stress. And and we want people to know that Farm State of Mind's out there on our website. Tremendous amount of resources from state to state. But you know, if there's if there's something really bothering you, it's okay not to be okay. Mm-hmm. I've experienced it. It helps to take that pressure cooker top off and share it with a friend or a neighbor or some stranger you don't know. Don't suffer. It's okay to be okay. Find somebody to listen to you and get it off your chest. I know you'll feel better about it. Let's make sure that our farmers are healthy because if our farmers aren't healthy, 
we can't do what we do in SVD world. How much did your personal experience guide you and the American Farm Bureau staff into really pushing the the farm state of mind? Well, it's uh, interesting how that come about. Uh, you know, two two months after my wife had died, I started back out on the road, and I said, you know, like all other farmers, I'm tough enough; I can handle this. And the more I went, the more I talked to people. You know, Bonnie, she was a big part of the Farm Bureau family. And uh, the more I went, the more it built up in me. And and one day I was interviewing on a podcast just like this with a reporter, and he asked me a question, and it all came out. And like all other pharmacists, oh, my God, I just showed my weakness. I may have just ruined the respect that people might have had for me in the job that I do. And I want to tell you, the Farm Bureau family just did the opposite. I had emails and phone calls that just made my heart just bust open with pride because they were so proud to see that I was human. And I said, no, this goes the other way. Y'all have let me release this. And now I'm a healthy, mentally healthier person because I released it. You know, I had one one man to call me, and he said, that's the bravest thing I've ever seen a farmer do. I didn't think it was an act of bravery. I was hurting. And it absolutely just put me back in a state of mind to where I could get my arms around what I was going through and move forward. And God's good. Farm Bureau people are good. Farmers and ranchers are good at heart. And they're all out there wanting to help their neighbor. If you need to see your help, your neighbor or somebody in the family struggling, please lend them an ear. And please tell them that there are on our website, the Farm State of Mind, uh, opportunities to find resources to help people that need it. We have to stay healthy so that we can continue to provide the security for our nation through our food system and feed the world. Well, we'll I know we'll put a link in our show notes so that folks can find it. We have a, a mental health page on the Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation uh, website as well, lfbf.org. Well, this this plays in to kind of wrap up the whole trip. And I just for us to say thank you, because our people, you know this, I know you're hearing it all ac- across the country, is a big part of that. Most Farm Bureau folks don't want to be cooped up. They don't want to be um, restricted by COVID-19, and it's been quite a challenge and played into a lot of that mental health as well. And to have you here has given us a reason to kind of recharge, restart, and, and re- kind of energize our group to and, and have a, a good excuse to do that. And you've been so gracious with your time and to, to come here. And, and that's the compliments that I've gotten so far uh, is is – and that's what our organization is good at doing is bringing people together. And if we're going to develop policy and if we're going to uh, fight all these issues like we, you know, get passionate about, we got to we got to get our folks back together and we got to get them excited and, and energized about what they're doing. And that's what we've been able to accomplish the last two or three days. Well, I've told farmers and ranchers all across this country. Just remember, in, uh, in, uh, in the Bible, it says in Proverbs 12, 20, 24, it says, the diligent shall rule. As an organization, we have to be diligent on policy front, on the mental health front, on our family farms front, in our community on our communities front. We have to be diligent and continue to move forward, regardless of how bad 
the 24-hour news is telling us it is. What I was going to bring up, and talking about your diligence, but you also you presented Jim Harper with yeah. uh, a pen, yeah. kind of Membership commemorating pen. that diligence, but also uh, 62 years? 60 year to, 62 years of consecutive growth and membership here in Louisiana Farm Bureau. I, you know, there may be another state done that. I don't know. Uh, but that, that is really something for this Farm Bureau to be proud of because uh, a lot of our state Farm Bureaus are struggling for many different reasons. Uh, but, uh, but this, this, this Farm Bureau continues to grow and you should take a lot of pride in that. Well, when you look at 62 years, you're talking about going back to Jimmy Gronyard, Ronnie Anderson, and now Jim Harper. I mean, those are, those are some uh, good names and some great leadership that we've been blessed with here in Louisiana. I had the privilege of getting to know Mr. Grunyard when I was young farmer chairman, <laughs> 1987. Huh. And it was just a dear pleasure to, to know him during that time. What made me think about it was Andy talking about getting the, 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 the Farm Bureau, the, the membership kind of fired back up. And that I don't think there's anything mm-hmm. that we can get more fired up about the fact that we as an organization have 60 plus years of, of growth and momentum mm-hmm. at our backs right now that like, I, I think that's a pretty great thing. And I know American farm Bureau is, is constantly growing and getting better and stronger. And it's the States that help do that. That's right. So I thought that was just a cool thing to kind of connect it back to that, your visit here at the board, speaking with the board of directors. You yeah. see, that's why we keep Carl around. Cause he, he ends on a high note. He makes sure that we end on a high note with everything. I do what I can. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and wrap things up here. Uh, President Duvall, thank you so much for giving your time for the last three days, for spending some time with us on the Grassroots Government Podcast. I really appreciate it. Enjoyed it. And Andy Brown, thanks for putting together a good trip and uh, for inviting him up here to be on the podcast. I'm going to go take a nap, but we don't have Joe to to close us out with the table and the menu, but we've been at plenty of tables this (laughs) week and looked at plenty of menus and had a lot of good times. So uh, I just appreciate Mr. Duvall and our membership. We couldn't have done any of this and we hope uh, this fires them up to let's do some more let's uh, let's do some more tours we're going to have a lot of opportunity coming up to tell our story ahead of this next farm bill so please uh, let me know I'll be at your door next and uh, no telling who I'll bring with me absolutely and listen whenever you have the chance make your voice heard the grassroots is where it all begins thank you so much for joining us for the grassroots government podcast we'll see you next time